Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. You know, most of what we talk about here on Seek Reality is the genuine reality that we all inhabit. Neither mainstream science nor mainstream Christianity has any real interest in studying what's true beyond their own narrow spaces of either matter-based stuff or old religious beliefs. And meanwhile, you and I are living in a vast and complex, genuine reality of which both what scientists study and what Christianity teaches are only tiny parts. So we have our work cut out for us, as as you know. And as we make sense of what's really a gigantic and very genuine, complex reality that's all consciousness-based, we crave more and more to understand how we can best live in that reality and make the most of each precious lifetime. So we don't only talk about the physics of the greater reality. From time to time, we invite guests to join us who can share insights about how each of us can better live our lives and our guest today is a young phenomenon. He's living a gigantic success story and an inspiration to anyone who thinks they can't dream really big dreams because he did it. Aaron McCormick is an author, an entrepreneur, an inspirational speaker, an artist whose path to success and fulfillment defies what we would call societal norms and expectations in almost every way. He was reared by a single mom on the south side of Chicago. And since the age of 23, he's been one of the world's leading business technology sales executives, earning millions and receiving numerous awards and distinctions. He's been honored as best of IBM, which is an award bestowed upon the top 1% of the 400,000 IBM employees. He's founded several companies, and he's even earned an MBA from a top business school, but even though he had no undergraduate degree. I think that's just wonderful. And Aaron stood up to and escaped the fundamentalist religious cult in which he grew up and which he at one time loved. We'll talk about that. But sadly, his leaving the cult resulted in the loss of friends and family, um, which just shows you it can be hard to make sometimes to make these decisions, but they can still turn out wonderfully. And it doesn't mean you really have to lose anyone at all. So with all this wonderful combination of empathy, wisdom and self-made success, now Aaron McCormick teaches other people. He has helped countless others of all backgrounds to realize greater fulfillment and success in the areas of Get this, he does everything, career, personal power, love and relationships, sales, entrepreneurship, and overall leadership. And I have just read his book. He's not overselling. That's exactly what he's able to do. Welcome, Aaron. We're so glad to have you with us today. Hi, Roberta. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat with you. This is going to be fun. Uh, he's he's actually very young, but the point is, I, I think if you don't go to college, if you just get out there and really work, you can make, make great strides. Very exciting life you've had so far, Aaron, and beautiful, by the way, beautiful little son in your book. There's a picture of your little little child. I've neglected to say the name of your, of your uh, book, and I've got to say it a number of times because I really think everyone should read this book. It's called Unbounded. 
journey to your within. Unbounded because once you've gotten rid of all of the really artificial barriers that bind you, you all, you really can do a, a really unlimited things. I think Aaron is living proof of that, and it's it's very exciting. I hardly know where to begin, actually. Aaron, is there a part of your book that you think is the most important? Wow, that's an interesting question. N- no, I really don't. Um, it just depends on where each of us are, but it's just full of truisms and realities, as you like to reference, that we all are going through, the reality that is external and that's often in conflict with the reality that is internal. And I often refer to these as the heart and the mind, the ego mind, the things we've learned and absorbed since we were babies and, you know, toddlers and such of how to be and what's cool and what isn't and what's good and bad and our race and our masculine, feminine, all these ideals, pop culture, family structures, everything. And how do we get that, you know, the the spark inside of us? How do we allow that original essence before it got molded to be the dominant force in our conscious reality? Because it's always there. The the force, the spirit, the thing that we are, it's never gone. It just may be suppressed pushed down and to greater and lesser degrees across various aspects of our life. And it's just, you know, um, to our fulfillment and, you know, quote success, which by the way, should only be gauged by ourselves. No external idea does that, but it's completely predicated upon the level of clarity or connection we have with that original force, as opposed to how much we've allowed the idea of what we've become and what we think we are, to run the show. So that being said, I mean, whether it's the, the section on yourself and how you view yourself and how you viewed your so-called successes and failures and your belief systems, all that stuff, or the section on your career, you know, these are the four parts, three parts of the book, yourself, your uh, career and relationships. And the last part is really just about integrating all the above to really embody what you actually want to be because it's what you actually are. You just haven't allowed yourself to be it. And that's where we become unbound. I think one of the I would things, defer to you. I mean, go ahead. Well, I, I think one of the things people are going to want to know is how, it, how you got on this path, because it's an extraordinary path for a young man, you know, without a father growing up on the south side of Chicago. But first, is there one thing that you think turned your life in this wonderful direction or has you, have you always been going in this direction? What You seem to have been a very bright child, number one. And number two, it seems that although you chafed um, in the religious cult that you were in, um, you, that seems to have given you discipline that maybe other kids didn't have who were growing up with you. I mean, that's quite possible. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I learned um, – the reality that everything is actually serving us, whether we perceive it to be bad or not, it's we're ultimately in control. And there, there are experiences that are ultimately what we came here to experience. Because, you know, as you refer to Christianity and religion, I was I was raised in a high control Christian religious cult. Um, but at the end of the day, all religion, the big ones, whether it's Buddhism, Muslim, Hinduism, uh, Christianity, all of them tend to espouse that God is energy. We are one with that source. We are one with God and that God is love. Um, So if we're energy, then that doesn't have to necessarily be a specific 
uh, form that dies because energy doesn't die. Uh, energy just transfers. So to answer your question regarding how long I've been this way or was there a specific <laughs> event, I've I've always been um, a bit different and kind of um, introspective and, uh, you know, dare I say wise beyond my years, but not not in an ego sense, just kind of um, anchored to something a little higher than me. Um, the truth re- is what I mean. Not, not even like even when I was in the control of the religion, there were ways of there are very empathetic ways about me and reasonings that I would have that would fly in the face of the dogma or the very separatist or elitism, if you will, of that faith, according to, you know, the Bible and how it would create a lot of, uh, you know, separatism, if you will. Um, and, and the empathy would permeate me and I would be in kind of in conflict with that. And then I also talk about um, how the energy, the um, the spirit, which means the unspoken force. So if somebody says so-and-so has a kind spirit or a mean spirit, that's, you know, interchangeable with personality. So that thing that animates us before we were taught how to be, it always is there. In fact, I make the point that we don't really need to change that at all. In fact, you don't change it. There is no changing your actual essence. It really just needs to be discovered. It's like peeling away the layers or the binders, as I refer to them, which are all the known ways that we've allowed ourselves to become animated, motivated, biased, all these different things. So like in my case, of course, there were periods where I um, was not my authentic self, where I wanted to assimilate, or I was afraid of not fitting in. But I did that significantly less than typical. And as I look back on all the things that it's funny, when somebody reads a bio, it comes off like it's all great. Right. Exactly. The high points. Well, what made those points possible are a lot of perceived low points perceived because they were scary. They were challenging. I was, you know, uh, making decisions that felt congruent inside, but resulted in an outward reality that was scary and, you know, um, painful, challenging, but, but I needed that congruency inside. And I guess that's the, that's the only difference that, uh, that I would really give for my journey and the average journey, so to speak, where I have all these sort of firsts, if you will, the first this or a unique that, or, or go against all these odds. And I wasn't trying to be a maverick. I was just, I, I guess we all have this choice. We all are wired to either chafe more at being at odds with external things, people, family, ideals, societal norms, expectations, labels, all these things. Either we chafe more at being at odds with those, so therefore we just fit in and assimilate, or we tend to have a more of a problem with going against what we know is that unspoken force inside of us. And, and that was more me. So therefore, and that's all, I believe that's really all of our challenges. We all have come here to experience the weight, so to speak, both physically, gravity, limitations, emotional, you know, so-called dependencies and concerns and needs, because in our truest uh, form, again, according to all religion, all science, all everything, we're just energy. In other words, we're one with God. Therefore, we are God. So in the other source, or in our different form, we're unlimited. So if you come here to get on this ride of human life, to experience limit and to experience weight and to experience dependency 
and, and all these these forces that are vying, uh, you know, that are on you, but you still have a latent awareness of what you actually are. The challenge we all have is to integrate the two, because if you ever try to be completely your God source, if you succeeded, you simply won't be here anymore. You would instantly poof and be back in the original source. And that negates the whole journey. At the same time, you don't want to be completely in this uh, matrix, if you will, because now you have no power. You're thrown around by all the forces that are around you. So I think our challenge fundamentally is is integrating, is being able to get more in touch with our true self, our true essence, and our connectedness to each other, love for ourselves, appreciation, all these things, through through real awareness, cause and effect to to show you that, and while while also still um, under you know experiencing the duality, the pain, the the hot, the cold, all the things that come with uh, you know being a human. I want to ask you some specific questions that I sort of jotted down as I was reading. But first, I just want to make a point to listeners. Um, One of the things that we talk about a lot here is spiritual growth, because that's the reason we come into these bodies to begin with. And ever since The Fun of Growing Forever came out several years ago, a lot of people have asked me, what it feels like to grow spiritually and who is more spiritually developed because of reading this book and seeing how Aaron has reacted to so many of the things in his life. I think he is a very good example of someone who probably came into this lifetime at a higher vibration than most people. Uh, That's why he's been able to have such a successful life and he understands so many things that many people with his background would not understand. And frankly, most of us wouldn't understand, certainly at such a young age. But um, to read his book is to see how people who are vibrating at a high level naturally react. And that, thank you for that, Aaron, because I try to explain it to people that it can be difficult. But uh, that's what you're doing. Sorry to make you blush, but that's what you're doing. Um, it is showing people how it's possible to be at a very high vibration and actually be very, very financially successful too, although you seem to disparage that well uh, you know it's it's an i naturally tend to disparage it because we're generally duped into making that the end all and, yes and that tends to be the focus and, and you know right. honestly on my instagram you know since i was a child i've always loved cars it's been a hobby of mine i knew their stats when i was four or five years old so i've had everything i've had 130 something cars expensive ones cheap ones uh, silly ones, <laughs> you know, exotic ones, everything. And uh, and it didn't matter the cost. Uh, I, I, you know, no matter how much money I may have at a given point, I'd have a cheaper car that I thought was fun. And so on. anyway, the point is um, I was sharing on Instagram because I would look at Instagram a lot just for back then, back, you know, since maybe three, four years ago, just to get ideas and just doodle on cars and see what I might want to get next. And I decided, you know, maybe I should share some of mine. And maybe somebody will get some ideas. I'll post some pictures, but that didn't last very long. I I quickly went from sharing of cars to profound points, very introspective points, very um, empowering, uh, you know, truths, uh, as well as acceptance. And eventually, I would be getting messages from otherwise very masculine men, even guarded folks that maybe aren't even as expressive with people they're close to, and they would message me. Uh, saying things that, you know, that implicate or that say, 
they thought they were coming for the cars, for the eye candy, if you will, for the physical thing. But what they realized they benefited most from were these broader points of introspection and expansion and love and, and uh, you know, but but set to very real uh, terms that people can relate to. So in that sense, I was a bridge, so to speak. Um, so whenever the topic of money comes out, it's always in its proper context with me. And, and it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when uh, I see culture around us training our youth, especially young men, to be hyper driven and focused on money. Yes. Oh, yes. You're so right. I have a friend who's older than I am, and she said something which I thought was very wise. She said, you know, we spend the first half of our lives accumulating stuff and the second half trying to get rid of it. And right. I think that's probably, <laughs> probably true. Yeah. You attribute, I, I, I should just say, Aaron is an extraordinarily successful salesman. And this is something which, if I hadn't been a business attorney, some of the first um, clients I had were manufacturers reps. And yep. I saw what they did and what a wonderful life they had and how much they enjoyed it. And they made so much money. And I thought, you know, I should never have gone to law school. That's a much better job <laughs> than, right. than trying to be a lawyer because it really is. And and um, but but as you say, a lot of people think there's something wrong with being a salesman. You attribute your success to empathy and joy. Talk about that. Yes. Well, um Empathy, first of all, in business, and I, there's also a part where I equate sales to leadership squared. And, and in fact, I've started multiple companies. I also I have a very disruptive tech startup now that uh, will change the way we do something uh, immensely and uh, oh, create, a, create a lot of value, all, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm still wow. on the fiscal journey as well. I still apply my intellect, but very much interested in connecting and helping and, and the artistic side. So like the empathy thing, uh, Roberta, it's, it's, I mean, every form of business, whether you are the CEO, you're selling. If you're not even on a job, but you're That's at right. a cocktail event. That's right. Selling because the process of selling, really selling is allowing the other person to purchase. Yeah. You, you're not forcing anything, but they're on a oh. buy cycle. They're buying. So yeah. Opportunity. You're giving them an opportunity to buy, right? And, yeah. And well, to solve their problem is what you're doing. You're giving them an opportunity to solve whatever problem it is that without question. in your mind. Yep. Yeah, and it's their choice. It's their decision to buy. So they're really in control. It's your job to understand their buy cycle, their process. So your value, you're helping them, is in understanding how they will go about deciding what's going to be best for them and making that decision. And if you happen to have the thing that matches or that will deliver the value or experience that they're seeking, so be it. And that's a very different perspective than someone that is after their objective of the commission, of the quota, that's right. of, of the clothes. Yeah. And that is one of the things that has made me unconscious to, you know, to myself at 20, 22 years old when I'm making half a million bucks and my peers are 15 years older and, and got degrees and stuff. And I'm the one that's the number one rep. I wasn't aware <laughs> that it was because of this trait yeah. or energy about me, but there was an authenticity. There was uh, a, a being in the moment, which allowed them to then open up and disclose more of their problem so that I can be more prescriptive in the solution. 
Because if I'm not in the moment, if I'm in the in the how do I impress? How do I make sure I say the right things? Yeah. How do I, make sure I ultimately get to sell? That's the opposite of empathy. I'm not sitting in your shoes. I'm so busy sitting in my own. Right. So exactly right. That's my right. ability to become the person across from me, whether it was a CEO and just imagine his world, his day and how the moment I call into it or email into it, I'm disrupting his day. So this empathy permeated all communications. They were, they were very short, impactful emails instead of long introduction emails with, yeah. you know, product packaging on there. You know, when I spoke with them, it was a bunch of questions for me to discover how I helped them. But the questions were so good and so incisive that, that it showed my knowledge. So it didn't frustrate the client where I'm just asking so many questions, but I'm not telling you what I can do for you. The value of my questions showed I probably can help you while also allowed your voice to be heard. So it was evident there. So at all levels of the touch, empathy was the driving force. And so yes. now as a, as a CEO, as you know, as I am now, or to anybody else, no matter what you're doing, there's no real communication if you don't perceive or try to comprehend the piece of energy or the, the energy on the other side, and therefore how you're going to be perceived or, or, or how, how your energy is going to connect with theirs, because it'll never make the connection because you're so busy basically connecting with yourself. With yourself, exactly. Right. One of my very first salesman's clients was a, I was not even probably 30 and he, he stuck with me for all this time because when I first met him I just wanted to know what he did because I knew nothing about anything so I asked him and so he was stalking around my office kind of stream of consciousness telling me what he did he said one of the things I hope for when I get a new client he sold a businesses too one of the things I hope for is that very early in the relationship something will go wrong do you know why and I'm looking at them thinking, oh, my God, I think I, I think I was dead if something went wrong early in the relationship. And he said, no, I hope something goes wrong because that lets me jump in, fix it, be a hero to him, and you know then I have a client for life. That's what he told me. I thought that was very smart. But that's right. empathy too. He's understanding the guy has a problem. I can solve it. Right. If you're here to serve, and, and again, so that's, you know, when I see the a lot of the – social media and the, the general push to be aggressive and get up early and push hard and pull yes. no, you know, uh, do what it takes to get ahead, so to speak. Yeah. I'm chafing because it's teaching our youth that it takes being ultra selfish. No, instead yes, of you're right. Intersection. Instead of figuring out how you can serve, you want to serve yourself too, but we're relational beings and we're here to, to help. You know, if you look at the toddler, children, babies, they obviously want to serve themselves first. Hence, any psychologist will say in a relationship, romantic or otherwise, you got to love yourself first. <laughs> like on the airplane, you got to put the mask on yourself first. Yeah, right. So it's so okay to know what you want and, and, and need to serve yourself. That's healthy. But immediately after that, you look at these toddlers, they want to serve, connect with, help assist another. And when their peer toddler starts crying, you immediately see them drop service to themselves. They'll they'll stop playing with the toy. They'll bring the toy to the aid of the other one, or they will just focus yes. on, on consoling. Yes. So right after self, we got to be trying to serve. And the problem is society has made us so focused on self 
to the and so focused on this idea of money and that money will create this abundant experience that we become so driven at that that we drop and we forget the part about service to others, which is really a big half of our purpose for even being a human. And so we've left a huge portion of ourselves on the side of the road somewhere after we've become overly animated with, you know, the, the pursuit of money. You have a lot to say about joy in Unbounded. Talk about joy. So joy, similar to what I just discussed, is uh-huh. I believe it is the um, the culmination of the two reasons we're here, service of self, service to others. When we when there's something that um, addresses, if even if it isn't directly the service to others, this uh, this broad purpose of connectivity, oneness, nurturing that we all naturally have, um, that's where joy tends to abound. So like, how's that different than happiness? Happiness is an immediate emotional experience. You know, if I get on a roller coaster, I may giggle and smile. I'm happy at that moment. I go fast in my Lamborghini. There's some exhilaration at that moment. Um, joy is where I am uh, experiencing nature and loving the planet. And therefore that, that, you know, through energy affects others as well. I am experiencing familial love relationships, a family or a friend, or I'm creating art in some way. And what I define as art in, in uh, some parts of the book is anything that raises the vibration of another. We tend to think art is what you paint or it's the music you make, or it's an uh, actor or something like this, all these formally physically in the arts kinds of th- uh, kinds of things. But the purpose of all those things is to bring an emotional disposition to the recipient, to the person that's absorbing that energy. And it's a high vibe response, right? So anything that you do that makes somebody else a little higher, if you are, if you got a skill in molding something, creating little crafts, if you like to work on cars, to the extent that you apply that to help someone else get their car running or make their little, uh, you know, project car shinier, better, that's art. So like, what is the art form that that raises us and someone else? That's where joy is most often found. And we usually are a bit lost as to where that is, which is so when I talk about how how does that relate to selling in business? You know, as I run around rah-rah joy while I'm selling two or three, five million dollar software systems to executives, not directly running around feeling joy in that context, but the mindset was. I was aware this thing is going to affect 100 or 500 or 1,000 people in the, in the quality of their day-to-day life. Because once that decision is made to go with my platform over something that's there and all these users will use it, what are the different ways that their eight hours a day is better? So all throughout my discovery process, I'm going deep with each person and I'm understanding What's what hurts, what they what they like in terms of, you know, the you know, the working process. And so I was always aware that I'm I'm adding value to the to the human being. It wasn't just fiscal savings to the executive. Now, I talk that language too to the senior executive. But right behind that, because that is their first focus, the next focus of any leader of a company should absolutely be. And sometimes it should even be the first focus is 
the satisfaction and the vibration yes. of the employees that are creating the very thing that your customers will then consume. So yes. when I can talk that language too, there was my intersection of joy. I, I really, and as an empath all my life, it, it felt good to be helping. Uh, and so joy drove a very otherwise, you know, corporate fiscal job or jobs plural and as and as again as a CEO, as I look at people when I consider hiring them, it is nothing like the typical hiring process where it's your resume, your skill set, and how do you fit on this job. There is a bunch of energetic sort of qualification fit for the job. Meaning yes. if I if myself and my team can't determine that the job that you are going for is a natural fit with your essence, so it's, a, it's an accounting position. It's a secretary position. Pick any kind of job. If, if we can't detect that you would, you kind of have that way about you, whether you're in that job or not, it's natural to you. Uh, and, and that it doesn't really feel that much like work because you, maybe as a secretary, you love to have a bunch of things that you're juggling at once, that you thrive in that situation. You personally like to be in that situation. In your personal life, even, you're a fit. Yes. And what's ironic, Roberta, is on the business uh, side is we're society is so uh, boxed by the physical expectation and the report card that we forget that as energetic beings, we are anything but rigid and boxy. We are actually can become anything. We're very fluid. So I would much rather have that. If a person comes and they want to be a receptionist, secretary, an accountant, or you know, finance, whatever the job is, and they think that they have to be in that job because a they got to pay bills, and b it's what they've always done thus far, so they assume no one will give them a shot at marketing. They really wish they could create. They really are longing to be in that side, but I got zero qualification, so I'm just going to keep taking the same kind of job. Yeah. We will end up smoking out the fact that they actually are going to flourish more. In marketing, despite coming in for a secretary job, and then why wouldn't you just give them an opportunity to either split and do part time in both? And as they flourish, they'll do better at marketing than maybe someone in marketing yes. who, who took up that role because they heard it was a good place to be. But they secretly would like to just be a simple uh, accountant or work with numbers or secretary. Right. We're all in wrong places, right? So yeah, that's uh, true. Well, I want to talk about something else, which is an important concept to bring up. You talk about binders. Now, the title of the book is Unbounded, mm-hmm. but so so what Aaron says is that there are binders which we we take on as our lives go on, and he talks about them. I think in very a very powerful way. He says there are ideas, energy, and behaviors which are external to our being and disruptive to our one of our core purposes, which is joy. Talk about the binders. Binders. And and all, all these binders, only the person will know whether something is a binder because they're not fixed things. What's a binder to you may not be a binder to me. And right. the point is they are foreign to your true essence, your purpose. And again, the purpose we all have, joy and connectivity, empathy with others how we choose to experience those things. So that is our purpose that we know this from, from when we were toddlers, where we only pursued things that felt good. And when it didn't feel good, we immediately had a reaction. Stopped, right. right? And, and when we're, <laughs> basic. Yes. Yeah. You push back, they cry. They, they immediately say, I'm not digging this. 
And then when we're older, same thing. Older people rarely are living for others, living for some to impress some other entity. They're living their truth. They've become comfortable in their skin. So the two bookends of life, we're we're less binder written because we get it. At the beginning, we're closer to our source, so we don't have all the binders yet. And toward the end, we've realized how they've never served us <laughs> anyway. And so we, we we gradually start to shed them. And, and, you know, we don't fully shed them, not usually, unless we deliberately do it. But we, we're just less binder Latin when we're older. So these binders are all the things that the human mind starts taking in. And, and one might say, uh, especially when I speak in very physical circles, like yours is a very higher consciousness sort of program. So these these concepts aren't foreign uh, or, you know, they don't kind of chafe at you. But there are other programs when it's a more business context. And, and the thought is, what do you mean your human mind? That's all we are. Well, it's like, is it really, though? Because when that baby is born, we've all heard stories of a person born into a very negative environment versus pers- people born in very positive environments. So if you take the very positive situation, they've got two parents, they've had a lot of love and encouragement, they had all their financial needs met, maybe there's even affluence, and yet the child, despite all of the uh, well wishes and good guidance and affection and commendation, they grow up to be criminals or murderers yeah, yeah. or delinquents. And then you have, so that, that belies their physical stimuli around them. And then you have other cases where someone is born into a, uh, a very abusive, negative, limiting, uh, berating sort of environment, and they still grow up to be highly empathic, great leaders, non-for-profit CEOs, or just very inspirational people. And, and so how is that possible? Well, because their soul, their essence, their true aura was stronger than the stimulus or the binders around them that were seeking to conform them. So, but those are extreme examples, but all of us have varying levels of internal conflict where our brothers and sisters believed or acted a certain way because that's their animation and they got it from some other place too, family, school, TV, you name it. We have all these different things that are shaping us and telling us how to be and the cause and effect of not being those things from our sex to our race, our country, you know, uh, business, what it means to be a good parent or husband or wife, uh, you know, politics, everything is constantly trying to, to exert and mold. And the question simply is, to what extent are we mind or extrinsically driven? Extrinsic, why is the mind extrinsic? Because the mind is only the age that you are. It's only, it's only that old. So it's only been learning stuff since you were born on that day and you became one years old on up to eight, 90 years old or whatever. That's the mind part. But that essence, that thing that I just talked about that belied the parental or the other environment and go on to, to become something different, that apparently was there before it was taught anything. So who knows right. how many millennia that is. So right. if you're more mind-driven, where you're more fearful of, you know, dissenting with some external thing around you. So you, you, we always make this calculation, Roberta. It's like when something is happening or a conversation is going on or a decision has to be made, we immediately make this calculation of if I follow this thing or not. 
If I disagree with it, there's a physical consequence, and I don't want that. Versus if I disagree with myself, there is no physical consequence. I just kind of chafe a little bit inside, but at least I don't, you know, have a, a you know a confrontation, or at least I don't lose my job or have to end the relationship and have to start all over. So I, we all tend to take these, the ease, what we think is the easy route, when in reality it becomes the harder route because we become laden with all these untruths to ourselves. And then we wonder why at 30, 40, 50, you know, mature adult life, our life is not exactly in the energy or space that we would wish it to be. Aaron, you, you say some things about um, the, the binders concept, which really struck me. One of the things you say is this. What often binds us is fear of displeasing other persons or entities, fear of failure, shame, the need for acceptance, the lack of awareness of our self-contained wisdom and power at a soul level. Now, Everybody listening, that resonates with all of you, doesn't it? Because it certainly does with me. And I found that I could not do the work I do now until I got rid of every one of those binders. So no truer words were ever spoken than that, Aaron. I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true. You've got to get rid of all these things that are, that are extraneous to you. And then you can live your own truth without any adulteration at all. That is a very profound teaching. Yes, and it's it's really a simple one. It, the simple, you know, actionable thing is don't live with internal conflict. Don't accept internal conflict. You have to get your peace. You have to be whole within before you can become whole without on the outside. So right. if you think you're going to fragment yourself, suppress yourself, and dilute the true thing that you are, and you're going to somehow get to abundance, it will elude you. So even if you even if you dilute yourself and say, I hate this job, but it's going to make me really, really rich. You may, <laughs> right, right. You may get rich. You may get you're going to grit your teeth the whole time, but you're going to get rich. Yep, that's right. If, if you get there, you will have lost so much of you in the process. You won't you'll be happy. further from that's, your abundance. Or, that's so true. <laughs> or you will never attract the money. Because you can't attract abundance when you're so fragmented inside. So either you yes. get it and you're damned, or you never get it and you're still still damned. The point is, you've got to become congruent within, or there is no abundance. Yes, yes, absolutely right. Now, you teach people this, right, on an individual basis or in small groups? or How do you teach this? Well, well, the book, first of all, got launched um, during COVID, I mean, right at COVID. So there had, oh, there that was good timing. <laughs> so there's, there's not a lot of formal teaching other than... Discussions like this, obviously the book itself, um, you know, when the world comes back to normal, I'll do corporate speaking and I'll, I'll help wherever I can. Um, but throughout my life, I've been, uh, and this is why I decided to write the book, people would bring things to me, all kinds of issues, small, big, but profound to them at the moment. And I would never give them answers because, you know, we tend to want validation. We tend to want an external yes. thing that will appease our mind to make, because our mind is what we think is governing everything and, and the mind has to make sense. So to the extent that another person that we think we respect or just a volume of people say it's so, our mind says, good, then it must be so that I can sleep with this. When in reality, you already have all the answers that will go with you or not go with you. And, and you know what the truth is for you, but uh, society generally hasn't worked that way because we're told we're supposed to get married uh, or uh, 
you know, get rich or be straight or, uh, you know, be this kind of animation. I mean, all these different things were supposed to be. So we're not used to following this invisible, sometimes illogical force that kind of won't give us peace until we learn how to listen to it. Um, so I was always one to ask these questions that helped people do just that. They would get their own epiphanies and then they would know the absolute truth for them is this. And they would, they would put things to bed or put things to closure that previously they didn't, they couldn't do. And it was all because the question that I might've asked, that was a simple question, but they didn't think to, they didn't think to be honest with themselves and ask it. So I just said, okay, so I love seeing people being their most powerful, happiest self. Cause I know we all are infinitely powerful and we all are one, but, but we're all have this idea that some of us are different colors or heights or nationalities. Some of us are better than others or richer or whatever. All that crap is nonsense. And so I'm like, how do I, in a very macro way, allow more people to look into their own mirror so that they can become more of what they really are in the first place. And so that was the, um, that's how the book came about. Before that, I was, you know, and I was doing this on an ad hoc basis, randomly here and there, but I was a business guy. I was just leading at companies and selling and stuff and creating businesses. And, and oh, by the way, these kind of profound things were also happening. And so I finally decided to write a book and, and kind of step more fully into the process of, um, of sharing and relating with people. One of the things that's terrific about this book, everyone, is that um, I teach what Jesus taught. All I try to do is help people understand what Jesus really came to do, and it, and it does very efficiently raise our vibration. But what Aaron is doing is teaching the same principles, but he teaches them without any religious or, 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 or authority figure overlay at all, which to me is very important to a lot of people. I hear from people almost every day who say, I feel real bruised by Christianity. Is there some other way I can do this? Well, yeah, you can go to, to India and become a Hindu, but no. What's a good, simple, effective way to raise your personal vibration? And Aaron, you've never, I don't think, been in this field, but you speak the lingo very well. You understand the principles of negative vibrations and positive vibrations very well indeed, better than many people do. And yet you, and then you teach how to actually raise your vibration. I just love that. Yep, and that that was really the the goal there. It was to, it wasn't the um, the, the I guess verbalized conscious goal. Is just the desire was to help as many as possible. Religion can be very triggering. Yes. Religion is very fragmented, and having been raised in a uh, fundamentalist Christian religion, which is basically means taken to its uh, very literal obey to a T, um, you basically, w it, it, it would be a cult because, you know, yes. there are... Yes, it was a cult. You're absolutely right for what you say about it. It was. Yes. I mean, if, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're taught that Anything that dissents or is against, not against, but disagrees with, for example, my empathy wouldn't allow me to believe that there is one way to please, so to speak, the creator of all humanity. Yes. When only 20 percent of the planet is Christian and the other 80 percent are those Hindu, Buddhism, Muslim, those other religions. Yeah. 
So I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I'd be 12 years old. Now, mind you, I was baptized in this religion. I was very helpful. I, I, I gave sermons on a Sunday, for example, at a very young age. I applied the scripture. I know the Bible by topic. Pick a topic. I'll quote your scriptures on friendship and jobs and sex and morals and, and, oh, wow. and, and you know, uh, you know, being saved and mercy, all these different the Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, I was born into this and studying the Bible deeply. So I'm sitting there going, the empathy inside of me, even while knowing all this, and while the Bible is saying this is the only way, it's Jesus and that's it, and, and if you are fornicator or homosexual, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to be in God's kingdom. There, there's a lot of very strongly divisive things. <laughs> and it's even worse than that, Aaron. There are more than 40,000 variations of Christianity. Exactly. You've got to right. pick the right one. I mean, what are the yeah. what are the odds you're going to pick the right one? And, and I took even, and I and I took it even more, you know, leniently than that because I would say just Christianity as a whole. But, but yes, I would then after that say, <laughs> not to mention you got to pick the proper one because they're against each other. But I just oh, look, how am I supposed to reconcile innocent babies and people in India and China and Middle East and other parts of the world that view Christianity and this and this Christ concept? about as foreign to them and as weird yes. to them as Americans view Allah and Buddha. I yes. mean, it's like they, they have no, it's a non-starter to them and, and they're not disproportionately flocking to Christianity from their own native countries. So this can't be the way. No, you're and, right. You know, you, we, we've come to the end of our time and I just don't want you to stop talking, but, but we really do need to sort of wrap it up. And I just want to say, I think we'll need, we'll need to get together again to talk about all of this because there are, I sort of have half of my, my sheet of questions that I haven't even gotten to yet. <laughs> I so enjoy what you're doing with your life. I think that for you to have learned so much grown so much becomes so really spiritually powerful and then to teach it that is going to be a fantastic fantastic gift to the world i'm so glad you're doing all of that um i i really appreciate it so much but let's let's talk now about how people how could people reach you your your website is erinmccormick.com which is great right. And I'll I'll put this in the notes, everyone, so that you'll be able to 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 contact him. Can people reach you through your website? Yes, you can uh, click uh, contact, an email will come in, and I I, I respond to all of them. Uh, also, social media, Facebook is the Aaron McCormick, Instagram is the same thing. Um, let's see, and and also the book is all your typical retail suspects: Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart.com. Yep. Well, th we're, we will do this again, everyone, because we have a lot more to learn from Aaron. Uh, but meanwhile, we've come to the end of our time. Big hug to you, sir, and we'll talk again. Thank you, Roberta. I appreciate you having me. I enjoyed it. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I am so happy you were with us today. Now, please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get what that means, believe me, it changes everything for the better in your whole life. Next week, we'll be talking with Michelle Blood. Michelle is a successful transformational coach, and she's the author of The Magic of Affirmation Power. 
Her own shtick is the proven power of affirmations, and her insight is to empower them with song. Now, you would not want to hear me sing, and neither would God. So I use gratitude instead to empower affirmations, but I'm very curious to see what she's doing. She calls what she teaches musivation, and she does events in, she's done events in more than a dozen countries. And she says her largest audience ever was 50,000 people in Kuala Lumpur, for heaven's sake. So she's gotten around. She specializes in teaching others how to live a mystical life and experience divine oneness. And she says that's the heart of true happiness, success, and all the good things. So please join us next week and we'll learn a lot more about music as a way to power your affirmations. Do you see what we're doing here? Aaron is teaching wonderful, spiritual, and powerful, empowering things. And now we're going to kind of take a different look at the same essential part of each of our lives. This week, we have been talking with a truly wonderful man, Aaron McCormick. Aaron was reared by a single mother on the south side of Chicago and in a religious cult, as he said. He really... If you or I had looked at his background, we'd say, yeah, he can't probably do very much. But he has had probably the most successful first half of his life that I have ever heard of. Great business career when it started when he was not even really 20 years old. He's earned millions and millions of dollars. You hear how massively articulate and powerful he is as a speaker. Um, he calls uh, what he does in his business life transformative business software and services, which tells you, I'm sure if I, if I needed software, I'd say, okay, I want something transformative. So he's a, he's a gifted salesman, but even more than that, I think he is a very, very gifted human being, and he wants to share that with the world. His two big secrets are empathy and joy, and what could be better than that? It's frankly, I find it a joy to listen to him. He tells his story in his new book called Unbounded, Journey to Your Inner Within. Aaron McCormick is a beautiful young man who has an amazing life story, and he tells us that if he can use those two big keys to unlock the very best in life, then you and I can do it too. So we'll be speaking with him again. But meanwhile, as you know, I've got books out and um, Liberating Jesus and all the fun books and embracing um, uh, loving uh, the fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught will be out this year. I promise a lot of people still ask me about that, but um, it was written. But now my guide doesn't want me to put it out quite yet. But he tells me it will be out this year. The fun of meeting Jesus is for children who are pre-reading or very early readers and it's a beautiful book and I can say that because I didn't do the illustrations all my books are available through bookstores or on amazon.com and of course the adult books are also available as audiobooks if you want to talk to me about anything at all don't hesitate go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com and just send me an email I do answer emails although usually you know leave a few days for my response because I get so many every day and uh, I've got so much else on my plate. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Dream Vision 7 Radio Family, a number of stations there. And many people just get the Seek Reality app that's available in the iTunes um, app store for free and they, the uh, new episode will come to you every week. Meanwhile, everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one wonderful reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you in particular, most of all, 
are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.